Welcome to the Danish National Biobank podcast. In this episode, we look into the status of psychiatry. With the help of one of the driving forces in biological psychiatry and one of the founding members of the iPsych Research Initiative. From the Psychiatric Center, St. Hens, we try to answer some of the fundamental questions. How do we treat mental disorders, let alone understand them? And what is normal? My name is Thomas Well. I'm the head of Institute of Biological Psychiatry, located at the Mental Health Services uh, in the capital region of Denmark. And I'm a clinical professor of psychiatry at the University of Copenhagen. And I'm one of the principal six principal investigators of the uh, iPsych initiative. Let's begin with an introduction to iPsych. What iPsych is really about is the uh, completely unique possibility in Denmark to combine true, complete, comprehensive uh, health and socioeconomical registered data on everybody in the country with biological samples, probably as the only one in the world right now at this level. Iceland is doing something similar, other Nordic countries as well, but not quite as extensive as we're able to in Denmark. So quite uniquely, we have covered the entire population in our studies, not only as a kind of cross-sectional study where where I ask you, what do you suffer from right now? You might have migraine, you might have something else, but we get a complete longitudinal picture of your health condition. We know where you're born. We know where you moved. We know the socioeconomical background of participants at the population level. Combining this unique features of registered data and biobanks at the population level allows us to, on one hand, make a big impact on what's called gene discovery, that is, understanding what part of our genome are linked to various mental disorders, on one hand, but also to you know, pioneer the corresponding translational component, which is to ask, okay, these segments, these loci in our genome are associated with mental disorders, but what do they actually do? If we want to assign risk that this this particular variation in our genome confers to that disorder, or that kind of drug response outcome. In order to do that, I mean, you would need a comparison group, of course, uh, as you would normally do, but that would kind of give you an indication. Working within an entire population, you get what we refer to as unbiased population-based estimates. And that's exactly what you need. In a clinical setting, 
they are not interested in, let's say, gene discovery or any type of discovery findings. They're, fi they're interested in a downstream outcome once that you have those findings and you say, okay, what's the impact not on a little selection of individuals in a group, but what's the impact of this on the entire population, on the society? Once you have that type of information, you can begin to design, scale healthcare services to the actual need. And the type of counseling that you give individuals will be based on what you can say is true risk to that individual. That's what ISAC is all about. So how does it all begin? What made this huge project come together the way it did? What's the status today and where is it headed? ISAC has been kind of alive and kicking for seven years now. We have another two years to go of the first kind of real large period of nine years that we were granted for. And uh, what happened, you know, what led up to uh, the kickoff of ISAC in, in 2012 was, I guess, a couple of things. First, the field of psychiatric genetics and the field of psychiatric epidemiology uh, had been, you know, very successful. Very successful at a very early stage. So there was a lot of proof concepts that we could actually identify variants in the genome that we share. Some were super rare. Only a few people had it. Others were super common. You know, many, many people would have it. Half the population would have it. And they would, you know, with different effect sizes, confer risk of, of disorders. So that was kind of, that was very solid. We knew that we could do this. Uh, second thing was a realization that if we in Denmark combined our, you know, everybody been using them for years and years and years, combine these health registers, socioeconomical registers that we have. If we combine them with what had gained less attention over many years, but still is equally unique, namely population-wide biobanks with blood samples, on which, although there were kind of very, very, very small blood samples, we could still do just about any type of genetic analysis that we would like. If we could combine these two unique features, we would be able to do completely new things. And we did. What Isaac did was to pioneer studies, drive them at the world level for at least three diagnoses, ADHD, autism, and depression. Lots of stuff had been going on elsewhere in the world, but Isaac really made a major impact on, on, on the genetics of those three studies. You know, along that, we were able to take genomic variants, variations that predispose to mental disorders, kind of yes, no, ballpark number, you know, effect sizes, risk of these variants were kind of, you know, a guesstimate of some, you know, qualified guesstimate, but not something very accurate. Uh, and, you know, show how do you use the population to actually inform broadly over time on what does this genomic variant or this environmental factor actually do to disease in a population? I guess you can say that the kind of next step 
uh, of, of ISAIC will be to pioneer how do we actually make an impact on healthcare and psychiatry. Uh, going into you know, clinical research where we kind of say, these are the results this, that they kind of indicate how you should go about scaling, designing, prioritizing healthcare in this area, in that area. So how is such a large research initiative structured? What are the different parts of the project that make the whole? We cover, as a, uh, as a basis, autism, ADHD, depression, schizophrenia, and bipolar. I guess more or less the major mental disorders, more or less in numbers. Anxiety is really high as well, but that's not included. Uh, and the ISAI initiative is currently made up of, of three uh, research groups in Aarhus and three groups in Copenhagen, each with their principal investigator, um, who is part of the leadership of ISAIC. Do the different groups work on different topics or with different methods? The vast majority of ISAIC is based on genetic analysis, as well as other omics analysis, such as epigenomics, metabolomics of these unique blood samples from newborn children, combined with healthcare information, socioeconomic information from the, from the registries. One group comes with a very, very strong uh, epidemiological background. Another group comes with an extremely strong background in, in clinical research, hands-on research, so to speak. Uh, others have a combination of clinical research and, and, and register-based epidemiology. Uh, other two groups come with a mainly genetic uh, background, human genetics background into this collaboration. And yet another group comes from the uh, National Biobank uh, at the State and Same Institute and has, has a, a biobanking uh, interest, of course, that build the, 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 the neonatal screening biobank uh, on one hand, but has also an interest in neonatal screening for you know, uh, inborn genomic disorders, metabolic disorders that affect the brain. Uh, so we come with certainly slightly different but but highly complementary uh, expertise and interests into the ISAIC uh, initiative. What does it mean for a project like ISAIC to have access to the PKU samples? What role does the Danish National Biobank play? The, the Danish National Biobank and the collection of PKU samples uh, has been absolutely essential to the ISAIC initiative. It's kind, kind of one of the two pillars in ISAIC, the other one being the, the, the national registers, health and economic, socioeconomic registers that we have. And uh, so without, without having access to blood samples, it's very, very difficult to do genetics, at least molecular genetics. Uh, so we would, you know, half of what we do Half of what we do would not have been been possible without. I mean, of course, uh, uh, we partially also others did actually hands-on genetics, where you recruited individuals one by one and we rolled them into a genomic proje uh, project and, and did analysis. But it's uh, of course it's targeted genetic analysis that that uh, we did. It's the same type of analysis that most other countries do nowadays. You ask individuals to participate. Uh, and you get a very selected uh, group of individuals that participate and another very selected group of individuals that do not participate from blood donor studies 
we know that that uh, that participation uh, as bot donors are different across uh, a range of different characteristics of people, where they live in the country, socioeconomic status, educational status, all that type of, of, of things vary. So in, in the iPsych initiative, working with the entire Danish population is, uh, is the unique, one of the two unique features. And so without the, without the PKU collection, it wouldn't, wouldn't have been possible. What is special about this collection of blood spot samples from newborns that we call the PKU samples? Your natal blood spot collection is unique in the sense that it's it has a long history. It kind of goes back at least to 1980. So we're currently kind of approaching 40 years of collection of fundamentally not 100%, but very close to 100% of everybody born in Denmark. Uh, we have samples of them. So... That gives us a unique possibility to not study... Of course, we could study everybody born in Denmark, but that would be very, very expensive. But we are studying a very big chunk of everybody born in Denmark, big enough that we can extrapolate to the entire population of Denmark and not only to specific subgroups. And that allows us to draw conclusions that can be applied and are valid for the entire population and thus inform how our healthcare could be developed, designed, scaled. The key thing is that if you are representative of an entire population, you would say you are unbiased, and that gives you a certain, uh, that gives every finding you make a certain value that you can actually transfer from the study to the, to the population. What would you say are the greatest achievements of the iSight project so far? I think we've done several things in, in several areas. <clears throat> One area has been gene discovery, simply identifying variants in a genome that predispose to mental Ill, mental disorders on one hand. We've done that massively as drivers at, in at least three of, of, of the five diagnoses we've been part of. Uh, that's one thing. Second thing is not only to take those variants, but you know, across the board for, for other mental disorders to kind of pioneer, to show how do we actually go about, once we have discovered variants, to assign unbiased population attributable risks to these variants in a manner that will inform clinicians enough that they can design follow-up programs, other aspects of the healthcare system uh, in an intelligent manner so that they really know what happens in the, in, the, in, in the population. And you could also go one step further and say, what happens where we're sitting in Roskilde might be slightly different from what happens 30 kilometers from here in Copenhagen and different from what happens in Fyn, another 100 kilometers west of us. Some of it is also health disparity. We would actually be able to inform of that uh, and say, you know, you know, you might want to design this differently in this region than in this region. There's a lot of discussion about everybody should perform equally. But we might not want everybody to perform equally. We want everybody to perform equally good, given where they are, given the people they serve, right? There's no need that we have the same services, physically the same services, 
in two regions if they only need it in one and not in the other, or more needed in one than the other. Does that mean we are going to see regional specific services in healthcare or even regional medicine? I wouldn't say regional medicine, but you could have different procedures across regions. But the hope is not to kind of divide Denmark into five chunks that are the current regions. The idea is to divide it Denmark into individuals. But before we get to individuals, you might want to group people. And can we group people in an intelligent manner in order and by doing that, you know, a criteria of success is that if we group people intelligently enough, we will serve everybody better than we did if we just treat everybody equally. We should not treat everybody equally. We should treat people according to their background and their needs. And background and needs are individual. Before we get to the individual level, we can at least group people more intelligently than we do today. So, why is it important to give mental disorders a biological dimension? Because they have one. Mental disorders are disorders of the brain. It's not necessarily caused exclusively by what happens in the brain. It's a dynamic interaction between body and environment. Brain and the rest of the body. Brain, environment, rest of the body, environment. There's a lot of different components to it. But biology is a part of it. We have, we are biological creatures. And mental disorders is something that affects us. It might not be uniquely human and you know only in humans. <clears throat> see many signs of it in, in, in many other animals as well. But it's certainly so that mental disorders is an intricate part of being human. The genetic predisposition to mental disorders are clearly linked to many other features of being human. That it's madness, to choose a bad word, this context, to imagine that you can tease apart mental disorders as something that's separate from being human. You don't accept the notion that mental disorders could be merely psychological constructs and social constructions. For many, many years, has been, you know, going back to the 60s and the 70s uh, and the anti-psychiatric movement at the time, many people uh, favored the idea that mental disorders were mere uh, social constructions. Of course, the diagnosis of a mental disorder is purely a social construction. No doubt about that. But that does not mean that the suffering or what happens in the individual is a social construction. So you have mental disorders are, are disorders of the brain. It's disorders that affect a human being. And a big chunk of what happens is very biological. Then we can define it in one way or another way or a third way. <clears throat> How we specifically define mental disorders are social constructions. But the suffering and the disorders themselves whatever they are, however we grasp them, however we try to define them, whatever is in there is not a social construction. Just ask anybody with a mental disorder how painful it is. 
What will happen to these definitions if our psychiatric insights reach the individual level? Will we cease to have these diagnostic categories or are they going to be individual as well? Right now we have in Europe, we fancy talking about personalized medicine or even personal medicine. Uh, whereas in the U.S. they use precision medicine or precision health. I favor the U.S. version of the term, and I do it because doing it more precisely, because that's what healthcare is all about. In some instances, you can become personal. It can be something that's very individual for you. There are cases in cancer, for instance, where you actually it becomes completely individual. But personal to all disorders is a, is a very, very large and, I think, unrealistic ambition. Right now, we have some categories. The categories themselves are human constructs, as we discussed. They will be refined. I, you know, it would be purely speculation today to say, where will this end? I have no idea where it will end. I only know that we will come up with classifications that will allow us to be more precise in the way we diagnose, in the way we try to intervene early to protect people that are liable to disorders and in the, in the way that we treat people that do suffer from, from disorders. I guess most people find a broken leg or the cold to be something perfectly normal. Do you think psychiatric disorders will ever be looked upon with the same triviality? They are not trivial in the sense of the suffering and the effect they have on humans. I think mental disorders are completely unique because mental disorders affect the essence of being human. But I think that, I, I sincerely believe that mental disorders are not different from a cold or a broken leg. They are no more different from a broken leg or a cold than the broken leg is different from a cold. It's something that affects us as physical human beings. So psychiatric disorders are a natural part of being human. Psychiatric disorders are as human as anything can possibly be. There's no way you will ever be able to tease apart what is... Like, actually, I think... I would say it's kind of more uniquely human than cancer. You know, here you had a normal cell and something happened to this normal cell. You know, it was transformed from being an ordinary cell until suddenly growing wild and invading other areas of the body that it wasn't meant to be in in the first place. But but mental disorders have this other character to it that, you know, you don't see that kind of transformation, not nearly to the same degree as, as you see in, in, for instance, cancer. And if you look at the genetics of many cancers, you actually have a, a change in the genetics. You have a mutation occurring and, you know, something new happens. Whereas in mental disorders, if you look at the genetics we understand of mental disorders today, mental disorder genetics is intrinsically what defines us as humans. Now also, if you kind of take away the mental disorders themselves, uh, it, it's, it's part of what shape us as humans and as, as diverse humans. And, you know, in some occasions, unfortunately, we are shaped a little, a little too far in one or the other dimension. Uh, but... but We do exist in multiple dimensions. Uh, you know, you would you would only know you would only need to to meet one other person 
except yourself, and you will immediately know that there's a difference between you and me in the way we live our lives. And us as human beings, we are we are uniquely different. And what shape our differences, you and me, is also what shapes our different liability to mental disorders. My last question has to be about your visions of the future for biological psychiatry. What do you think will happen next? I think it will continue to discover more and more of the genetic background, kind of this gene discovery thing. We can catalog variants that we know in the, in the human genome that you and I share and that will predispose to mental disorders. That will continue to happen. It's just a numbers game. The sample sizes increases and we become better at discovering variants. What is more interesting, I think, is that we will become slowly better and better. Denmark is certainly, you know, pioneering the way in understanding the impact, the true impact on population, on this population and another population will not behave equally uh, in, in the same manner in, uh, across populations, across geographical areas. Uh, we'll be better and better of understanding that. And for that reason, also better and better of preventing, treating uh, mental disorders. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with more research stories from our freezers.